Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas, they get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we put them back in their houses for 10 years. So there you go, Down continued the record of never losing an All-Ireland final, Conan. So this was number four, and they would obviously go on and do number five in a row of never losing an All-Ireland final in, in 94. But this was a drought. This was a huge drought in that Down hadn't won an All-Ireland since 1968, but no county from Ulster or Connacht had won one since 1968, which was a huge way to go. It was a Leinster and Munster domination, and Down broke it. Yeah, and I think this is really... Um this is probably you always ask me why the Ulster teams stick together and stuff. This is probably it. Like, yeah, what was it? Twenty odd years of going down and never winning anything and getting hammered when you when you go down south of the border. But um, down went down and showed everybody that you could do it. And I remember the next year, Derry beat down in Cation Park in the Ulster semi final. Not to turn us into a Derry thing, but but because uh, down had won the All Ireland the year before, everybody in Derry were chanting "We won Sam," and it's just sort of down doing it the year before showed everybody that it was possible now. And then right. obviously Donegal went and did it, then Derry went and did it, then Down did it again. Tyrone yeah. got the final the year after it. It was unbelievable. The scenes on the Hill 16, like everyone on Hill 16 must have had a flag. It was just, yeah. like, I think we, we, I've said this on other shows, we need to bring flags back into into big matches in Crow Park. We're missing them. Yeah, that it was like a sea of blood or something. Yeah. Wasn't it? Like it was just so thick red. And like, do you remember the picture of uh, Connor Harris's dad as well on top of the, the Nally stand? Where he was on top of the alley stand for most of the game, just watching the, watching the match with his flag, somebody, waving that in a tricolor. Yeah, somebody replied back to me on Twitter and says it was his father, but somebody else asked for confirmation of that. Uh, maybe maybe it has been confirmed since. It has. I remember reading an article. I think it might have been no, it was two years ago when Connor Harrison was flying, and um, yeah, they were chatting. It was his dad called Liam, and they were asking him about it. Like, how did he get up there? And Connor was like, "I'm not sure he remembers." To be honest, I think he was pretty intoxicated. <laughs> and obviously, the Kilku Mafia. I was tweeting about this yesterday. They had a banner up on on Hill 16 as well, and they're they're fairly notorious by all accounts, the Kilku boys. So, like, I mean, I thought that was funny. Pete McGrath made a speech 
at the homecoming. And there's some footage of this on YouTube. People should have a look at it. Like even just seeing the bus actually had to physically cross the border. You know, when you say like when when teams win it, you say, oh, well, they head it back back over the border. Actually seeing them have to go past one of a physical checkpoint border, I thought was it was, you know, it was just mad stuff. Um, when you think of people, Grass said that we are the team that beat the team that couldn't be beaten. Yeah, that's um, it was sort of hair raising stuff, wasn't it? Like, um, was me to play ten games that year? That's like Mayo stuff this year. Yeah, back then I actually didn't realize that was the same year of the of the four Dublin games. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how me played. The All Ireland final was me's tenth game, so they played four games against Dublin. Um, they played, they drew with Wicklow. They played uh, two against Wicklow. They played Offaly. They beat Leash in the Leinster final that year. Um, and to beat Ross Common. So, like, I mean, it's as many as Tyrone going through the back door, the famous one in 2008. And yeah. Mead, Mead, played that, Mead played that year, which is incredible. And then a whole lot of comebacks. You know, they were, they were looking like the team that couldn't be beaten because this is on the back of them winning All-Irelands in 87, 88, and then losing to, like, this was a serious, serious Mead team. Yeah. And sometimes, as your father would say, your, your name is written on the trophy. And, like... It didn't look like, you know, if they're coming back from so many games, if they have 10 games in the whole series, sometimes you might start thinking, like, this team are going to win it, especially when they come from 11 points down to make it a two-point game late on. And yeah. the whole way through, the commentators talking about, me will come back, me, we're going to have a big comeback, they are the comeback king. Yeah, it was incredible. So, so Paddy O'Rourke, the down captain, said that when he was younger, he always thought he'd win in All-Ireland, but he'd given up hope. He was saying in an interview um, afterwards, because Down won a minor All-Ireland in 77 and an Ulster under 21 in 79. So um, he was like Paddy O'Rourke, Liam Austin, who came on as a sub, was very good. Ambrose Rogers, who came on very late. They had they had been around since 77. And like, I mean, then Down won another minor in 1987 and James McCartan and Conor Deegan came off that. You know, so Down were looking like they had potentially you know, a really good team that year, but they they struggled to get over our band the first round, you know, like I mean, so they weren't they weren't probably thinking all Ireland's that year at all. No, I think the Greg Blaney, he won that under twenty one All Ireland as well in seventy nine and he got an all star in the early eighties. I saw a great interview with James McCurtain because he was one of their he was the first all star in like seven years. He got one in nineteen ninety and he said that <laughs> he actually he bought a pile of journalist drinks on the International Rules Tour in Australia and that's how he got the All-Star in 1990. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, it was sort of, it was, it was barren then for down as far as it was for most of Ulster. Like, and like, it is funny now when you see some of those names and those iconic names like, like Paddy O'Rourke and Liam Austin, they think that they might not have finished their careers with, with an All-Ireland. It's a bit scary. Yeah, not that many came off that minor team in '87. Actually, only McCartan, Connor Deegan. Connor Deegan was brilliant at fullback, and James McCartan, sure, he was absolutely unbelievable. Come here, Mead were down a lot of players. Like, I mean, when you look at it, no, I don't think they're making it. You're using it as an excuse because um, Robbie O'Malley, who was the best cornerback of that era, um, he was gone from a broken leg. I think that happened in the Leinster final. Colin O'Rourke didn't start. Uh, Mick Lyons went off in the game. You know, like I mean, and then they played four games in five weeks against Dublin. Like, they, I'm not sure, you know, physically they might have been fine, but the, the injuries took their, took its toll on them. Now, look, whether whether that's got would have made any difference in the final against the down team that were on fire um, after halftime, no one will ever know. 
Yeah, but I do think like, the Robbie O'Malley one was the big one because McCurtain was just running right. They tried two different men on him, and like you're know, just a tight, sticky cornerback. One of the best in the country, as you say, would have made a big difference there. I think Ferguson did all right on Linden, but yeah, just having that that presence back there to keep an eye on McCurtain would have would have really helped keeping Lions for the full game. Although Lions came off when they were starting to get on top anyway, so I don't know how much of an impact. That had and he had a good game up to that point. It wasn't like he was a weak link or anything. Yeah, I mean, Hoffie, like, would, would you have, would you start a column or like I know he was injured and he probably couldn't have played a whole game, but like, Jesus, like he, even like he looked injured when he was playing, but he was just having such a big impact up there. He was catching ball and laying it off. Well, if that was Colin O'Rourke not at 100%, I would hate to see him at 100% because he was phenomenal <laughs> when he came on. I thought he changed, he re, when he started getting into it. He just we'll 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 save that for the analysis part. Yeah. Definitely, it's a huge it's a huge talking point um, about you know whether he should have started because obviously the effect his game had on Bernard Flynn was massive as well. But you were mentioning uh, Ferguson did well on Mickey Linden. He got a lot of help from Kevin Foley, who nearly took the head off Mickey Linden in the first half. The referee looked <laughs> straight looked straight at it and didn't even he got no punishment for this whatsoever. It's I I don't know how many of these early ninety games we're talking about now and the, <laughs> and the rest is like if he does give any punishment it's talking to boys and then telling them to go away and it's crazy like you know I think um, John Kelly might have also done something pretty nasty in the first half and again just a talking to you and he runs back thinking he can still do whatever he wants because he hasn't even been put in a yellow card but that that one on Linden was a skull crusher <laughs> you know it's crazy that there wasn't even a a tick. No, it was an elbow straight to his face, which is which is unbelievable. But we we'll leave it there because James McCartan is joining us on the line now. James, we're talking about the elbow Mickey Linden got in the first half. It was a much harder game back then. Yeah, look, looking back on that game, certainly was a very physical game. Mickey got a, a elbow from Kevin, uh, intentional or unintentional. You can debate that, but it certainly connected. And Mickey lost a couple of his front teeth, so I don't believe the ones he has has at the minute are his own. Jesus. Like, I mean, that was right in front of the referee. Well, I'll give you my opinion on it. It was intentional. Like, I mean, it was an elbow straight to the face. <laughs> well, look, I had the, the pleasure of marking Kevin in the National League final the previous year. And uh, look, uh, I marked him in part of that final as well. He was a hard man now. And uh, I don't want to... <laughs> look, he was a good footballer and obviously he scored that fantastic goal against uh, the Dubs to get them through. But uh, look, he certainly connected with Mickey there. But look, he wasn't alone. A lot of them, these boys were really able to look after themselves. And look, we had we knew we had to stand up to them. Like, I know I got a couple of heavy knocks too from McLean's and a few others. So look, these were the established team and they were going into that, that final and we knew they were a big physical side. But they also... I've commented since on a few reunions that we've had that they didn't they didn't realise or they, they, they remarked on the size of the down players you know when yeah. I probably was the smallest of them but uh, I probably I was still 12 and a half stone so look uh, they we had 11 boys over 6 foot back in 1991 and it's just a pity down, down we couldn't produce a few more people that size and down at the minute because well, we're full of good good footballers we're full of good re-footballers and down you know yeah because I tell you all look big huge Big, huge, strong men, and you all got massages before the game because you all had oil sparkling off your legs as well. That's another thing I noticed. <laughs> no, you're thinking of Liam Austin. Liam Austin uh, always, always came out glistening and looking fab. I had the pleasure of uh, having a summer in Boston, Liam, and we were painting houses, and when the sun moved around to the other side of the house, he moved the ladder around and just left the wall. <laughs> he didn't finish the wall. If we can get that, back, that bit tomorrow, you'd say. That's a classic. That's a classic. Well, he definitely is one to spring to mind. He was a specimen altogether when he came on and he played well. 
Yeah, like Austin admitted his debut, I think, for Down in 1976. That was 15 or 16 years earlier. So it was a swan song that year. And he'd missed a lot of the year uh, through a groin injury. Now, this is the most humorous groin injury you'll ever hear about because it all ran into a part of his body and it made it swell. And uh, <laughs> Austin didn't need it to swear. He was all he was well endowed to begin with. But look, uh, he was he was a monster of a man in, in many ways. Jesus, yeah. Well, it sounds like that definitely. Come here. You were interviewed in the dressing room after the match, and you had a fat lip. You obviously mentioned Mick Lyons caught you early. Um, he kind of came through a lad to get his hands on you. It was like you were marked out for him. Well, look, as I say, Jeepers, uh, Mick, you didn't go into his territory without knowing that you weren't going to get a slap and. Certainly, uh, any time I went in, that he 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 had a slap. But look, he he got a heavy knock himself. I think uh, from Peter Whistle, uh, one part of the game, and probably I think he had to come off. So look, injuries didn't go Lee's way that day either. I think uh, they lost a couple of key men. So, uh, but look, if he didn't stand up to them, you had no chance. And we had the benefit of playing in the National League final against them the previous year, and they beat us in the end. But we felt we competed well, and we weren't intimidated by them but that so we didn't have any any history of, of heavy defeats to them so we didn't have that baggage so we went into that game pretty confident especially with the National League run playing them previous year Right okay and in the interview in the dressing room you said you hadn't been playing well throughout the year you'd never have known it in the final because you were on fire it wasn't just the, the three points you got you were taken down for freeze you set up scores Yeah well look I, I didn't think I had a I've, particularly good year. I probably had a good year in 1990 and it was the second year syndrome and, and, and I was struggling. You know, played in bits and pieces and patches and, and uh, Mickey was the man, certainly, and Peter Whistle and Mickey in, in the semi-final against Kerry and I just said to myself, how am I going to try and improve here between now and the final? And Mickey, Mickey and Paul Higgins were the two fastest men in the team so any time we were doing any sprint sessions, I said, right, I'm going to be beside um, Mickey Lynn or Paul Higgins and try and push myself on and push and push and Mickey set a very high bar and I was trying to catch him so look I had my day in the sun uh, in the final but look, throughout the year Mickey and others were probably the key men Yeah it was a scrappy enough first half James wasn't it like I mean your score came off like a knockdown that you were, you were a good man to read the the breaks off those longer balls Yeah look, look we, down, we always like to kick the ball in if we, if we can and ball in early to the advantage of, of the forward. Yes, the first half, I think it was 8-4, very scrappy, but the period after half time was probably yeah. the 10, 15 minute period. I'm not sure what we scored, but it was it was, it was dream football, to be honest. Uh, like we scored 1-5, 1-6 or something like that and, and Mays might have nicked a point somewhere along the line. So, you know, they were, it was just a, a dream period of football and then after that Mead had their ascendancy look we had chances Mickey blazed one way and there was another chance that Mickey crossed over to, to Peter Whitnell so we were burning chances but they were Bernard Flynn was was very accurate the last 15-20 minutes of that game he had a brilliant chance for our goal and Neil Collins pulled us out of a hole that's two All-Irelands in a row that I can tell you that uh, only for Neil Collins we would have been defeated he saved against Charlie Revan in the penalty of, in 94 and that uh, that save against Bernard Flynn in '91, all the momentum was with um, me at the time, and I was fairly confident that if Neil, if, if Neil hadn't saved that, we'd have, we'd have lost that one. Right, okay, because Colin Rourke, I suppose, Colin Rourke came on. You went six points up, and O'Rourke came on then, and then you scored the goal to go nine. Then you went ten, and he got he started getting into the game. Then he didn't look like he was sick, did he? No, look, the irony of it is is that uh, Mee's man of the match that day was Jerry McIntyre in the field. He had yeah. a very good game and he w actually wouldn't have started 
if Colm had started. So that yeah. was the Colm obviously made a huge difference uh, when he came on. But if he had started the game, Jerry wouldn't have started the game. So it was. Uh, it's just hard to know if they started them both. It would have been the best scenario for them, but that wasn't the way they set up. Colm got into the game and, and certainly certainly was a handful. And as I say, Bernard uh, was very accurate the last 20 minutes. Yeah, like, I mean, you're, te- you're 11 points up at one stage. Surely, like, Mead start chipping away at a point or two. You're not thinking they're coming back at that stage, are you? Well, look, they've done it all year. They've done it to the dogs. Yeah. They've done it to everybody that played all year that has come from behind on many, many occasions. So certainly... Uh, there was one thing that said to me with one of the Meath players after the 1990 final. He said, did you know how long was left? And then that, that last league final in 1990, did you know did you, were you on top of the time? And I said, no. He said, well, do you not realise there's a clock in Crook Park? So I started, the next year I realised there was a clock in, uh, in Crook Park <laughs> and I was, wait, I was waiting for five to five and it wasn't for Cracker Jack. That was going to be the end of the... <laughs> That was going to be the end of the game. So I was watching the clock slowly and you could see, but we, we did nick a couple of scores. Gary Mason and I think maybe Greg Minnie did. Or Eamon oh, Burns. Eamon maybe. Burns. Eamon Burns yeah. got a great one, yeah. Yeah, Eamon got one of those brilliant ones and uh, that just put us from uh, two points ahead and, and they were very valuable to two points at the end because there was two points in it, you know. Yeah, no, there definitely was. So, like, I mean, um, Pete McGrath said in the homecoming that we're the team that beat the team that couldn't be beaten and we know about Mead, you know, that year. Were you watching those Dublin Mead games thinking, you know, we could come across these later on in the year? or Probably not. Uh, we were actually on our uh, weekend away down in uh, just outside uh, Gormanstown College and we were staying in the college. And so we went to see one of the games uh, on the Sunday. But yeah, we're probably we were a long way off thinking we were getting to Croke Park and playing against the uh, the Dubs, we actually, when I, we two of us managed to sneak out to a little hostelry, hostelry on the on the Saturday night, and we actually ran into the Mead goalkeeper. I couldn't believe it; he was out the next <laughs> day in Crook Park. You went down, <laughs> but it didn't do. He was there. He was there. His name just escaped. Marty McQuillan, Mickey McQuillan. Yeah, yeah. He was in goals. So we saw him in the pub the night before the match. Only we weren't playing the next day. He was. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's sorry, a good Mickey. That's a, that's a good one, yeah. You're after hanging them out completely, but it's, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's all right now. But that's a good one that you actually went to watch one of those games. Like, I mean, because you mentioned that league game. Like, you must have thought here, you know, it could be potentially play them. Well, look, as I say, we we were a million miles away. We we struggled to get over uh, Armagh in the first round of the championship, which famously up here was the second. The pick of the teams wouldn't wouldn't win another game. And uh, then with a, a tough couple of games with Derry they went to a replay and Ross Gar pulled us out of a hole with a long range free uh, and then we, we had to pull a bit of a stroke because uh, Greg Blaney got sent off in the first game and uh, the, the replay was to be a week later but all of a sudden we couldn't play it because uh, uh, there was a hurling game that had to be played and, and that bought us an extra week and all of a sudden down, our Greg was part of the down hurling squad very quickly and uh, the hurling game was played so the, the, the Gaelic game was put back a week, so Greg was eligible for the replay. There's no hung somebody else out the there, didn't it? Jeez, that's a good one. And did Greg talk out for the hurlers then? Yeah, he talked out, surely. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if he played <laughs> or not, but he was certainly part of the panel because he was needed. <laughs> very good, very good. So, but it was the year of the draws. You mentioned the Derry one there and obviously the Dublin one. Um, Leash drew it loud. The Connacht final was drawn. It was a crazy summer altogether. Yeah, yeah. And uh, look, I think it was... Was that the year Leitrim won in Connacht? I can't. No, no, that no, was 94, 94. No, no, just yeah. it was. Yeah, there was loads of draws. Yeah, it was. It was 
Like it was a good year for football, and it was a good, it was a good final. Like it was, a, it was a good spectacle, and obviously it was the right result. Yeah, you won a minor in '87. You you won a minor back in '77, I think, as well, and another '21 and '79. Paddy O'Rourke was still from from that era. It was just yes. yourself and Conor Deegan came off the minors in '87, which I thought was wasn't that many. Probably uh, that we were the only two that started, but there was quite a few had been on panels at various times. Cahill Murray would have been a sub uh, in 91 and played in the National League final of uh, 1990. There was a few others, Collie Burns, some boys, Mark Quinn and a few others didn't make it through injury. Their their, their careers were cut short. So look, there was a few in and around, but yes, I suppose Connor and I were the two that, that were playing in 91. Yeah, yeah. So what kind of an impact did Pete McGrath make? Was he a little bit before his time? Oh, Pete was, look, he, he took the job when nobody wanted the job. He was probably well down the pecking order, but he knew the talent that was in the county. He was in, in the schools and St. Comans and seeing what the, the Abbey and the other schools had. And uh, obviously he was the minor manager in 87. So he was well aware of what was coming through and what was uh, was was around the county. And he had a lot of confidence in the, in the players that were there. Now, <laughs> Back in those days, even though Down weren't winning Ulster championships, they were, they were competing in Division One, and they were playing against the likes of the Kerrys and the Dublins and all and the Mees, the big teams. So, as I said, they were they were probably uh, regularly favourites for the Ulster championship in the nineteen eighties and didn't deliver, but they were favourites because they were always in Division One and they were always competing and and maybe beating the Kerry the odd day. So. That, that we were carrying that bit of baggage around was we were always favourites in the eighties, and then come and people we were seen as a soft touch and easily turned over in the Ulster Championship so we were determined and Pete certainly instilled that he picked big men he changed the team round that he had Ross Carr and Gary Mason who had been uh, defenders in their time were up into the forward line to try and yeah. bolster the, the strength of, of the of the attack so yeah look and, and look, I'm not going to say they, they, they played the way a wing half forward would play now and, and put them sweeper systems but certainly there was a defensive mindset there that we could defend from the front you know yeah, no, there definitely was. I noticed that about those two fellas. They were like not dropping way back or anything, but they were get they were getting in, doubling up on lads, and getting in and around, you know, situations yeah. and stuff. That that was probably, you know, a new thing to have two of them doing that at that time. Yeah, look, as I say, and they were prolific free takers. Um, like Gary and Ross were not having not yet most games, you know, from freeze and 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 r- rarely missed and. Look, they were impeccable in the final as well as regards free taking. Some of the scores that over were fantastic. And whenever you've got two free takers, you can count on and knowing that if you're fouled in the scoring zone, that there's fair chances going over the bar. It breeds confidence throughout the team. Yeah, Mason was a tough nut as well. He burst me over in Chicago once uh, in 1999, in 1998. Um, there was no messing with him. I tried a bit of trash talking with him, and it didn't last very long. I was down, I was down on the ground before I knew it. Yeah, look, as I say, like that down team, you know, was big, strong, physical, and well able to well able to look after themselves. Most of the players would have played midfield for their clubs, like Brendan McKernan, cornerback, and Paul Higgins, cornerback, were both midfield for their clubs. You know, a lot of boys, you know, were playing. Like even though I actually played a lot of football for my club, middle of the field, which might surprise you as well, but uh, it's, we were in the lower divisions. But like a lot of them were were were, were down the middle men, and whenever we were going to the wings, you know, just meant strength, and and they were they were quick as well. Like Paul Higgins was a flame machine. Everybody, you know, reverts to, to Mickey, and rightly so. But Higgins in a straight race, but I'd be able to be able to just edge out Mickey, you know. So speed and strength, the great assets. 
Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. And obviously your win then uh, kick-started a domination and it had been a drought. There was a drought from, from 68 before you won it the second time and then you won it four in a row. Was this was this like the shackles been lifted or like a confidence thing in Ulster or what do you think that was? Well, what you would have had whenever Down would have won the All-Ireland in 91 and Jordanstown and Queens were, were, were relatively strong too winning Sigerson's in around that time and you had the Derry players the McGurks and the Downies who were at university with DJ Kane and, and these guys and saying hang on we're just as good as those yeah. down boys there's nothing, not, there's nothing special about them down boys you know and we can take them and, and, and Donegal as well so all of a sudden these Ulster teams have been, and who could see that down won it but we believe we can do it if they can do it we can do it because we're in university with them and we can see that their players are no better than what we have we have just as good and that, that's, that's the sort of thing catapulted as I say at that time Queens and Jordanstown were strong too and we always were able to trace back whenever uh, Queens and Jordanstowns were strong we found the Ulster teams weren't far away but the same with our man wanted no two I think that 17 or 18 players on the panel had come through the two universities you know so that's an awful lot so the, the universities seem to be had a link to how successful the counties were going to be Right, right. Okay, come here. Another one here before I let you go. In the interview in the dressing room after match, you're wearing a Mead jersey. What the hell were you thinking, swapping your All Ireland winning down <laughs> jersey for a bloody Mead well, jersey? I, 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 look, I'd never been in an All Ireland final before. <laughs> I was caught. On, I, I, I was caught on the hop. Tommy died. Asked me for my jersey. I swapped my jersey and I was underneath the Hogan stand and I couldn't actually get out. I put on his jersey. I couldn't get out up to to get my medal or up to, to where the cup was. So I didn't see the cup numbers that I went down underneath the tunnel and I had to walk back to the dressing rooms through the crowds underneath the tunnel and the amount of people that told me hard luck when they saw me because, <laughs> I, thought <it> was... <laughs> because I thought because I was wearing the Mies jersey. I actually got reunited with that jersey uh, three or four years ago at a, at a dinner. The, the jersey ended up in County Down and uh, it was uh, the Donham family from Hilltown and it was... Uh, Returned to me in a frame, so for the wall. So I was delighted to get get that back over oh, after twenty five years. So what? Yeah. What to do? Did Tommy Dowd sell it or something? <laughs> I think he passed it on to some somebody, and I I actually I, I actually heard that it was in the county a few years previous to that because one of the uh, Chuck Brannigan from Kilcoo told me that his 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 girlfriend wore it in bed, and I says, "Well, you do realize she's thinking of me when." <laughs> Uh, exactly. it, he wasn't too. He wasn't too enamoured with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great one that you only got it three years ago. Because I was just thinking, watching you in the Mead jersey. Now I know it's, it would be hard to say no to Tommy Dowd and stuff like that. But like, you'd be kicking yourself after. Like it's your All Ireland yeah, winning jersey. Oh, look, look, it was haunting me for years. It was haunting me for years that I'd, I'd given that away. And I, before the 2010 Ulster final, I told our Ireland final, I told the Down lads, whatever you do, do not give your jersey away and don't make the same mistake that I made. And that's how Chuck Chuck was on the panel then, and uh, he he knew that uh, I was looking for it back type of thing. <laughs> oh, well, that's a good story. I, Go on. I I I I had been tipped off that Chuck knew where it was, so I said that to see if he would get it back from me. <laughs> would, would would you would would you believe there was a banner? I was tweeting about this yesterday up on Hill 16. I never saw so much colour in all my life. Every it looked like every supporter in Hill 16 had a flag. But the Kilku Mafia had a big banner, so maybe the, it was the Kilku Mafia that had the that had the jersey all along. Yeah, I had the jersey. They can they can get they got it for me. <laughs> oh, they got it back for you, right? Okay, right. So yeah, they yeah. 
They know how to fix things like that, right? Oh, no, okay. yeah, you just get the, if the robbing banks or anything there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> James, thanks very much uh, for taking the call. We'll talk again. No problem. We'll get a beer sometime. Take a hand. Thanks, James. Good luck. I said, are you going to get up or are you going to stay in bed? I, I said, we have a game there about half three. If you, if you, if you, wouldn't, mind, if you wouldn't mind joining us. <laughs> didn't even start like, didn't even go for the back. Took his line, took his extra five minutes. It was like, it was like the snooze button. Hit the, hit the snooze button for another five minutes. Rolled out of bed. One seven that day. So down 116, Mead 114. And the, the big talking point at the start of this game, Conor, was Colin Rourke was out. Jerry McEntee was into midfield. And PJ Gillick was going into corner forward, who was a regular midfielder, who was picked as a midfielder. Now, like, I mean, James McCartan makes a great point about the loss of Colin O'Rourke in that Jerry McEntee was outstanding. And if Colin O'Rourke would have started, you would have lost Jerry McEntee, who caught a, a mountain of ball um, as well. Probably the big, the big loss is that they tried to play PJ Gillick in a similar role to Colin O'Rourke and PJ Gillick just wasn't able to do it. Yeah, I think the first question is how the hell is Jerry McIntyre not playing this team every week? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. know they're calling him a Yeah, but like, Jesus, like, how dominant was he? Like, I, I lost count of how many balls he fetched from both kickouts and yeah. he was working his socks off. Like, there was a stage where I thought he was going too deep, but he was just turning the ball over when he was back there, like, you know, and doubling up and, like I, I can't, I can't get over the fact that he wouldn't have been playing if it wasn't for Rourke. And I think if he had have had uh, Jerry McEntee in the middle and Colin Rourke up top, then like yeah, he would have really like caused serious trouble. I know Rourke was injured, but Gillick, as you say, I don't think he was giving them anything up there. I, I felt no. sorry on him. No, I felt sorry for him. Is right, and and they were trying to go rude one a bit to him. Like it was almost like Dublin with Keith Barr and and Vinnie Murphy. Whenever whenever Mead would have a free. Martin O'Connell would put it down and launch it high, you know, hoping for something. Mead didn't kick it all in the first half. The only the only bit of good play they had was when Liam Hayes scored a brilliant point from play. It was after uh, 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 Bernard Flynn got what, one of the only decent balls yeah. he got in the whole half, and he played a, a nice ball to Liam Hayes for, for a point from play. Other than that, Mead didn't play at all. You could say Down didn't kick very well in the first half, um, either outside of James McCartan being the outstanding player that kept down ticking over yeah the only thing I would say is that like you know, down had a bit more thought in their passes like yeah you, you mentioned that Flynn one to Hayes like his foot came across the ball like you know and sort of pinged it into Hayes and, but apart from that they, everything was going up like it was yeah. terrible trajectory like and you know even like nowadays if you have a if you have a big man inside he doesn't want the ball like that they want to hang it up like you know so a nice trajectory on it so he can go and fetch it but these are all coming down on top of on top of Gillick and on top of Stafford and yeah, like uh, down on the other side, I just think that they, they they probably took a bit longer to get into the game, but their passing was just a bit nicer because they knew they had Lyndon and McCartan up there, so they were pinging it to the corners a bit more. Probably, yeah. I think after halftime, they pinged it a lot better when Blaney got into the game a little bit more. But Ross Carr and Gary Mason, they were two wing-backs, and it was interesting to hear James saying that they were they were actually wing-backs, converted wing-forwards. Sorry, they were wing-forwards. They were wing-backs, converted wing-forward, and they were doing a lot of, 
they were doing a lot of work around the field, you know, and they're probably leaving four lads up. It's obvious, it's crazy. I knew I loved that. I knew I loved that down team, and you know, I love four forwards left up and everybody else <laughs> working hard. Yeah, and then when you're two dropping half forwards or you're two highest scorers as well, then you can definitely um, make an excuse for. It. I mean, Ross Carr scored nine points in both the Derry games. Like obviously he's a master from free kicks, but yeah. Um, like yeah, like Down are like a perfectly modern team. Like they they could play in this era, no problem, and be one of the best teams. Obviously, like the, like the two, the two buzzing corner forwards, two of the best the games ever seen. Whitnell, the wrecking ball full forward. They've got a creative centre forward in Blaney, and then two wing forwards that are working their socks off. And I actually think uh, throughout this game, they almost stumbled across the the modern template to play against the blanket defence. When like you know, me were bringing people back. I don't think it was a blanket, but they had more people back, and they're putting them under pressure. Whereas the Down halfbacks then sort of sat in their positions and they, they had outnumbered Neve on the other side of the pitch then and yeah. they get that structure and happy enough to try and ping it inside because they had the forwards yeah the, so the the Meade were forced into changes Kevin Foley went back on McCartan because McCartan was running amok um, and it's isn't a guess that was Brendan Riley marking, marking him when Brendan Riley was the player in 96 that scored the will and point he's back corner back in 1991 um, I'm not sure if you noticed that well if you didn't you should have but Gillick, PJ Gillick was PJ Gillick was moved out. Tommy Dowd was moved in. Jesus, John Kelly was like you mentioned this at the start of the show. John, if if Tommy Dowd went to ground, John Kelly was on him with his knees and his back. He was going to town on Tommy Dowd. Yeah, I think there was one stage where your man Beggy just seemed to get so Beggy, yeah. pissed off at uh, John Kelly because again Dowd was down. He won a free, rightly so. And then just Kelly was lying on top of him. And he actually, it was like five seconds late coming over. Yeah. And Beggy just said, piss. I just grabbed him. And like, I hadn't seen Beggy react. He got the whole game. And then the ref started, came over and had a word of both of them then. But yeah, he, he was just stuck to that man all day. Yeah, he was. Like, he was crossing the line. Like, it was outrageous. But I suppose, like, if he, he, that's what you want from someone marking Tommy Dowd. Like, I mean, he man-marked him. That was his job. And geez, he was leaving something on Dowd. Fairness to Dowd, he, never, he didn't really react um, from any of it, even though he didn't, he didn't have one of his his better games. But down took over completely after half time. They really started to kick, and like I mean, Linden got a point. Horrific defending by both Ferguson and and Kevin Foley. Um, he imagine Mickey Linden cutting back in on his left, and both defenders going off, yeah. thinking he's going on his right. Like, but that just shows the speed, I suppose, of Linden. That you know he will go along the end line if you if you give him a. a an opportunity so Linden got that score um, that was actually Blaney McCartan and Linden were, were all um, involved in that like and Mickey Linden celebrated that um, you know it was a takeover then Mead were six down and O'Rourke comes on eight minutes into the second half you know and then the down goal came you know to put nine in it which was McCartan to um, Blaney and Linden and across to Breen again like it was those three McCartan, Blaney and Linden were the three you had to watch even though Linden didn't have his his uh his a better game, but then again, if he's teeth knocked out from uh, Kevin Foley, like J- James McCartan was saying, like I mean, it's understandable. Yeah, I actually thought that goal he was he was brilliant for it. I know he, you know he missed a couple of his own own chances, but um, like it was such intricate play, it was so tight in there. The passion Blaney was a little bit like oh, like you know putting it over the top to Linden, and then. I was trying to think the difference between Mickey Linden and me in that situation. Like, you know, so I would have caught the ball, braced, and just fell into the tackle and held onto the ball for as long as I could. Whereas 
then Link catches it, keeps his wits about him, he steps away from the tackle and just pops it across. And it looks so simple, but it's not like anybody else grabs that ball and they just brace themselves. And actually, a minute later, Beggy had something similar where he tried to catch it at the other end, but he was aware of the tackle coming and he ended up dropping it. But Linden just managed to pull back out from the tackle and throw it across. Simple right. as that. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. I think Mick Lyons was the one jumping over over towards him as well uh, as he passed it across. Then James McCartan got one off the left, a beautiful score, and Linden threw that back out to him. So, like, I mean, you say Linden didn't play well. That's only at the at the very, very high standards that you know he would have set. He's still he's still setting up scores and got one himself. You know, it's just I suppose the '94 final, um, he would have played an awful lot better. So they're 10, 11 points down at this stage. And then Mead start start to come back. Um, O'Rourke gets a point O'Rourke hit two lads two right shots then as well when he came on um, and David Beggy hit a half goal chance and then Flynn had a brilliant goal chance and hits it straight at, at Collins in the goals and and then O'Rourke goes for a goal when it's not really on and drives it a mile wide so you'd say like they're they're starting to play at least but they're wasting chances imagine to say that they're imagine to say Mead got it from 11 down to two and wasted a load of chances. Bernard Flynn had a couple of wides that he'd tap over. Yeah. And I think like Bernard Flynn, I know the goal chances, he might not need to go for him so early, but Flynn, he, he definitely should have scored. Like in, like in the position he was in, he could have just gone top left or bottom right and he, he went in between. Like and It was an easy save in the end for Collins. But yeah, if they had it just kept chipping away because Down sort of went into that mode then. I think between the 19th and 47 minutes, Down had outscored me 1-9 to not 1. And then Mickey Linden missed the two goal chances. So Down were probably thinking, right, that, that's us done. <laughs> like, you know, we need to cling on to this now. So if me if I just kept that taking over, you're right, the Colin Rourke one just wasn't on. Maybe that maybe that comes back to the fact that you brought him on from the bench and he's trying to have such a big impact when they're so far down. If they had it started, yeah. would given them a bit more leadership? Well, I did think O'Rourke was trying to throw it around a lot. Like, I mean, whenever he got the ball, he was looking for Bernard Flynn. He was he set him up for a, a few different ones. But the Linden goal chance was after the, go- the Mead goal, actually. The Mead goal put four in it. There had been seven in it. And then Brendan Riley won a free. And it should have been given against him because he threw up an elbow. Um, and he, dro- he just drove it down the field. Remember, he was really eager to take it. And Tommy Dowd won it. Um, all on his own and then played a lovely ball inside or he was fouled played a lovely ball to Hayes and Hayes scored 1-1 in that final that like I mean shouldn't be underlooked they were phenomenally phenomenally classy for a big midfielder and um, like I mean we'll get to the midfield battle in performance of the weekend because I think it's probably better there because if it's possible all four midfielders played well like I mean it's crazy yeah. like I mean that's like uh, sorry go on go on go on no, I was going to say that's like a flashback to like the golden era of midfielders where you just let each other play. <laughs> you're not you're not hanging off each other, and there's no James Barry just running around after Brian Fenton. It's just two midfielders on two midfielders, and they're both playing their own game. Yeah, no, it is. It definitely is. So then, um, Lyndon had that chance, and what was he thinking with this? Was it, he shot with his right foot? Uh, I mean, it was crazy stuff. It was a knockdown from uh, Peter Whitnell. Um, who wasn't really in the game? The best thing Peter Whitnell did in the game was absolutely open John Harren, Harnan with a with a, a really dirty shoulder in the first half could have knocked him out, but Whitnell knocked it down to him. Could you believe Lyndon? He could have stayed going. He could have. Why would he not have shot on his left? It was a bizarre kind of sequence of decision making from him. And the weirder one because just before that he got a ball thrown across him and he should have gone on to his right where the net was empty but he came back in on his left and got blocked down. You know, yeah, so it's, it's, 
Yeah, I don't know. He went far too early, you're right. He went with his right. Maybe he was just trying to throw the keeper off guard, but you can go with your left and throw him off guard. And I had all that to me. It probably just had too much time. I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I, it could have done anything else except skewed off his right foot high and wide, you know? Yeah. The two, two of the biggest scorers, obviously, for Down were. Um, Gary Mason got a huge score from playing Eamon Burns with his second, which was a lovely outside of the right. Um, point that both of them gave them breathing space and stopped the mead comeback. You know, you're going 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 4. Now it's, you know, 6, you know, and then you have to come yeah. back down. I think the actually the, the Emma Burns one put 8 back in it after it being 7. Now they have to go back down to 7 again and Mason put 6 in it. Um, with nine minutes, with nine minutes to go. So, like, I mean, they were big scores, and like, I mean, we do talk about the or me being wasteful. James McCartan, uh, Greg Blaney, and the Mickey Linden goal chance—they all missed chances that they should have of got. Even though, like, I'm sure nerves started playing into it. Now, like, I mean, James McCartan admitting that he discovered where the clock was in Croke Park, and he was che- <laughs> he was checking the clock. Out. I don't, yeah, I don't blame him. I think I think the important thing was, um, especially for Mickey Linden's goal chances, was that both times Down got the next score, and actually from the first goal chance they got a score straight away. I think it was Blaney who put it over, you know, and, and rather than those four point swings where they could have got a goal and conceded a point, they actually just went and registered the next score and sort of kept the pressure on and, and weren't probably left regretting it. That was really important. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I mean, the big thing with Mead is like, yeah, they had nine games, but you don't finish a game like that. You know, if you're tired, like tiredness wasn't an excuse. Like, I mean, but they were, there's no doubt they were flat. And I think O'Rourke, the impact O'Rourke had on their game plan, you know, was a big thing. I know Jerry McEntee playing well, but like how they can turn it around there when everything's going against them, but still not be able to perform. Did he underestimate Down? You know, like, I mean, is there a chance that was the case that Down would have beaten an aging, a Kerry team in the semi final with a couple of uh, Whitnell goals? And me just thought that their name was written on it because they come through all these games. I don't, I don't know how to, how to. I, I, I would probably put it down to Colin O'Rourke being so central to how how they played, and being such a talisman, and then try to get it in high to Gillick just wasn't working. Yeah, and like they probably played Gillick balls that they wouldn't have played Colin O'Rourke, you know. Whereas when O'Rourke was there, it was just a bit more natural for them. They played yeah. their their normal games. So. <laughs> There did just seem to be more urgency, though. I think you're right on the, on the flat part. Like the, when they were so far back, when O'Rourke came on, when Hayes got the goal, obviously, but they, they just had their tails up a bit more. Like and they they were a bit more desperate, and obviously that that fed into them because you look at it and there was nothing that Down did wrong. Where like, oh, what did they miss a couple of chances? But they didn't they didn't retreat too much. They didn't do anything stupid. It was just. Meave got their tails up and started chasing the game like their lives depended on it and they, they weren't doing that from the start well that's it and the reputation Meade had then as comeback kings you know like I mean there's no doubt in, in an all-around final for the first time since 1968 down started going a little bit to get the, you can't dominate a game for the whole game anyways you know like I mean then when Meade start coming back I suppose they were like oh shit that's why Mason and and um that's why Eamon Burns and Gary Mason's scores were too, too so important because obviously if they didn't score them, it's a draw. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I mean they, they, they just simply had to get a couple of scores on the board during that Mead kind of comeback yeah, and to just take some wind out of their sails, even though 
it's not like it worked. I, like me just ran out of time. Five more minutes there, and that's a, that's probably a draw. Yeah. Did you did you think the the ref was a little harsh on me throughout? I don't really remember thinking too much of him. Yeah, I just thought he was very quick. He blew a couple. Like, you know, I, didn't, I don't think it mattered that much, but I think as soon as he saw a couple of bodies around, he just immediately blew the whistle. You know, when there wasn't always a foul in there. Um, I don't know if their if their reputation sort of went before them or anything, but I just thought there was a couple of handy scores as well that Ross Carr got the chip over from just ugh, like you know just sort of wishy washy tackles. Yeah, maybe freeze, maybe one or two soft freeze, all right for Down. Yeah. I will I'll give you that in the first half, which kept him ticking over. Uh, but like we said, Down were the better team in the first half. Right, we'll leave it yeah. there, Conan, and we'll come back um, with performance of the weekend. I work as a policeman at Garda Shikana down, down the store street and I'm coming back out and there's a cohort of loyal Tyrone fans still up in the stand as you come back out and they're roaring to me, hey Caffrey, you free state bastard. <laughs> and, and, and next thing I hear, you have no fucking jurisdiction up here. <laughs> Performance of the weekend. I'm going to start with midfielders because you could arguably put all four of them into performance of the weekend. Jerry McEntee was just sensational. He was absolutely excellent. A brilliant, brilliant fetcher. Um, Liam Hayes got 1-1. Wasn't in the game as much as Jerry McEntee from a fetcher point of view, but 1-1 in an all and final from your captain is not to be sniffed at. Eamon Burns got two really important scores, two punted scores. Um, yeah, yeah. 1980s type scores than 1990s. We'd, it had evolved a bit more from the punt um, in nineteen in nineteen ninety one, but he was sticking with it, and Barry Breen got the important goal. It got through a good bit of work, and Barry Breen was cleaned out by Jerry McEntee in the air. But then he got the goal that won the All Ireland final for Down. <laughs> like, you know, so you, like all four deserve a huge shout. Yeah, I actually um, Eamon Burns is it's funny. Like his first score at the top of the races. Before that, it was such a, a modern score that they were pressing up high to turn it over. You had your halfback and Paddy O'Rourke feeding. Glenn. It was sort of tight tight hand pass and Blaney played three birds and then he just decides to go top of the laces and, and punt this straight over but um, yeah I think from the four of them Breen got the goal but he was definitely I think the, the weaker of them just because Jerry McEntee was so dominant yeah. and actually when Liam Austin came on and I think it helped down just over the line in the end he made a huge impact Austin in fairness to him he did he really really did um, he was very good but that it's, an, it's a funny you always remember Blaney for this brilliant man to get breaks in midfield and give beautiful ball out to Linden or whoever but he was sharp with the hand pass too like a, the Burns um, point I think he uh, I know it was a loopy one enough to Linden but he get he both Burns points I think could have been from from uh, from Blaney hand passes he was sharp enough with a hand pass yeah he was just a clever player wasn't he yeah oh, very clever yeah, he just had time, just had time to do whatever he wanted and always picked the right decision. So that was it. And I thought he had a quiet first half, but he he was fouled for one of, I think it was Ross Carr's um, points. He set up a lovely pass to Lyndon, who set up McCartan, who was fouled. And he was fouled himself, or he, he, he gave the hand pass to Burns. Because I was watching him in the first half thinking, geez, I think Blaney might be getting bypassed in this. And then you're thinking, oh, well, still he's been directly involved in three of the eight points they scored in the first half. <laughs> yeah, they actually, they thought nothing of uh, an old cynical foul back in 1991 either. Yeah. Um, 
I think, I think my client had the, the, the worst one that was on, on Blaney. Actually, Blaney was out in the wing and he got free. He sort of turned Lions, who was falling on his arse, and he just grabbed him by the two legs and, and clipped, him, clipped him off the air. But uh, yeah, no, just a, just a neat, a neat, clever player. Yeah, Mick, Mick Lyons was a, a neat, clever fullback too, you'd have to say as well. Like, I mean, he did very well in Whitnell. And I think back that era obviously suited those type of big, strong fullbacks because, you know, you were getting a good percentage of balls that came in high, even for a good footballing team like uh, like Down, you know, ones astray. There was very little Mick Lyons didn't mop up when, you know, it didn't come in in the forward's advantage. He's so good on his feet as well. Like I think I think Whitnell was actually a bit spooked by him. Obviously he's so strong Lyons. So like Whitnell who's like, you know, a bulldozer, he didn't seem to want to go into it too much with Lyons. And there's one stage then where it actually again it was a soft free, but James McCartan just got stopped by him and you're thinking like he can easily turn him now, but Lyons just takes up so much space that McCartan uh, can't go anywhere. Like he's actually pretty good on his feet, like you know, he doesn't get turned too easily. Yeah, I must give Mick Lyons a call for the show at some stage because, like, I mean, when you have Tony Boyle telling you that when he was going to mark him, uh, when he was going to go mark uh, Mick Lyons back in that era, that he was getting phone calls during the week saying, don't look him in the eye. Don't, uh, don't you know, just uh, everybody ringing that if you look him in the eye, you get spooked. Don't shake his hand because he'll do something to you. He'll give you a dig. Like, I mean, all these kind of things that, that people, like, he just had a reputation that it was the fear thing. It was people. Players were afraid of him. Yeah, it just as I say, he took up so much and like it doubled up very well. So he had no problem leaving his man and coming out and like just hitting somebody else a drive of the shoulder. And you could sense that. Like uh, you were saying about Mickey Linden not having a, a good game. I think Ferguson did really well, but there was just that sort of sense of urgency in the corner forwards and the full forward where it was just like we need to get this ball off or somebody's going to hit us hard. Yeah, no, look, it was Mead at the end of the day. They took no prisoners. <laughs> uh, Bernard Flynn definitely deserves a shout. He got six in total, five in the second half, I'm pretty sure. Else is five in total, four in the second half. But, like, I mean, uh, look, well, Bernard Flynn was class. Like, there's no doubt he was the danger forward back in those those days. But he needed a foil. He needed a good ball, you know, and he just wasn't getting any good ball. And, like, O'Rourke, that's what O'Rourke just changed the game for him in that he had someone that could win ball and he could lay it off to him. And the great thing about O'Rourke, when O'Rourke got a quick, O'Rourke got a free, he's taking the free quick. To, he's looking for Flynn all the time. Like I mean, yeah. if he gets a ball from play, O'Rourke's not thinking twice. Just a quick little punt pass off the middle of his boot that bounces in front of Flynn, and Flynn's coming around the corner on his left, and it's over the bar. He Bernard Flynn was a different player. Yeah, and he had the best assist as well. You mentioned that one to Liam Hazel. Apart from Dowd, maybe obviously a nice pass, but he's he got the switch of play out in the wing and just pinged that pass inside. Yeah, and it, it is. Gary, that they had Flynn on for so long and maybe weren't using him enough until Colin Moore came on. And it was six points he got overall, so five in the second half. Most of them probably with work on the pitch. So, like, that's an underused gem that you had in your full forward line. Like, Bernard Flynn should have scored one six in the second half. Like, because he did miss a very bad one from play and his, the finish off his left was poor now, you'd have to say, for his from his standards. He was on top of the goalkeeper. You put that anywhere and that's a goal. Um, you know, I know Collins had to stop it, but it, it was into his stomach kind of. Like, that's unbelievable. What It could have been 1-6 and 1-7 in total in an All-Ireland final. And, well, you don't know what would have happened, I suppose, if that goal had come, had gone in. But there'd be a good chance, um, you know, Mead could have won it. Yeah, and that would have been one of the all-time great second-half performances. <laughs> yeah, the all-time great. Like, it was anyways. 
But the the worst thing is, and I know this myself, whenever you play well, when you lose, that's just forgotten about within a couple of days. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's devastating. Yeah. Whereas like you play well and you win and it's remembered. Like, I mean, it's crazy. So what is going on with Colin Rourke? And we'll talk about this here. How did Colin Rourke not start that game? I want to know. So from reading about it, he had a touch of pneumonia or a bad flu or something. Christ almighty, I am starting Colin Rourke and I'm taking him off potentially. I'm not waiting for eight minutes in the second half to start him. He he looked in great. He looked in great form. He was all over the place, like I mean, all over the field, winning ball, hitting lads, setting up scores. Like I, I don't, or else do what they did with Peter Canavan and start him, take him off, and bring yeah. him back on again. Like I mean, but Colin Rourke in that shape, and they would have known what he kind of shape he was in. I don't want to criticise Sean Boylan too much, like after everything he did in the game. And maybe Colin O'Rourke said to him, look, I don't feel right. Who knows? But he didn't, he played like he should have started, is the point I'm making. Yeah, and like you said, the Peter Canavan thing is a good point because, you know, you want him on for as long as he possibly can be on, you know, and that, that way they, they only had him on for, what, the 43rd minute? And it's just like, if you could have gotten an extra eight minutes, an extra 15 minutes out of him, you're missing 15 minutes of Colin O'Rourke. And, like, yeah, he was just imposing himself on the match. And yeah. it wasn't just like a high ball then that, that he was catching it over his head, which he was doing, or laying off people, or like taking men on. He was winning it in the corner as well. He was winning every type of ball, and he was doing so many different things. But it's just, like, they, they definitely, I think they should have started him. Even I, I saw the big knee strap on him and stuff as well. Like, even if he was injured, like, he, he should have started. And he wore that, yeah, he wore that the whole time. That was like, yeah. he's famous for the knee strap, and he, it, he was just sick. It was just bad luck, but I don't know. Like, I mean, you know, geez, for me anyways, he he had to start. John Kelly deserves a mention here, uh, Conan, like, right, overstepping the line a little bit. But God, he if you want somebody to tie up a, a half forward, I might be giving John Kelly a ring. But then it, it, when it, in, the, in the modern game, he's getting the line for two bad knees in, in your back and that's it. Yeah, he's a John Small the modern game. Um, yeah, he's like, like it's like a cat diving on Tommy Dowd the minute Dowd hit the ground. Just don't go to ground if John Kelly's marking you. That's it. Stay on your feet <laughs> yeah. at all times. And like Tommy Dowd isn't bloody soft either. Like you know, he's a big, hardy centre forward. So um, I was actually surprised for like you know the first ten minutes. I think Dowd was like looking very sharp and dangerous. And I was wondering why he was Paddy O'Rourke, maybe not in the centre, keeping an eye on him. But John Kelly was the he was the dog to send in just to keep an eye on him, and I think he ended up trying to move Tommy Dowd around him to get him more involved in the game. Yeah, no, definitely. But the 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 performance of the weekend, there is no doubt in this game who the man of the match was, and that's James McCartan. Whether it was setting up scores, whether it was scoring three from play, whether it was um, getting fouled for scored frees in the first half, you know, he must have been responsible for seven or eight points. Um, in in the game, he was outstanding, and like I was saying to him in the interview there about he was interviewed in the dressing room afterwards, and he he didn't think he had been playing uh, brilliantly that year. So talk about saving your your very best for for the final day, like an outstanding player, and got one off his left. I rage, and I forgot to ask him about this, and I had it down on the notes. Did you hear Did you hear Jack O'Shea um, in the commentary talking about it when McCartan scored off the left? He scored a lovely one off the left. And Jack yeah. O'Shea said, I've seen it all, Jerry, when I've seen James McCartan <laughs> yeah. take a pint off his left foot. Yeah, um, I did hear that. And like, I suppose when you're as good and as sharp as James McCartan, you don't, you don't always have to go on to your left because you'll make space for it on your right. Um, yeah, like I think, I think he does deserve it. My heart's broken for, for Jerry McEntee because I've honestly not seen 
as many great all Ireland final performances as that. And like yeah. you say, it, it didn't win, so like nobody really going to talk about it. Like that that should be a performance for the ages that we talk about forever. Yeah. But like just as a game that they lost and that's it. And and it fairly McIntyre wasn't the tallest player. Like he didn't look he wasn't like Hayes was a big imposing, big, you know, monster of a midfielder. And Eamon Burns was a big long rake. Jerry McIntyre was a bit of a slip of a fella. Mm-hmm. Fergal Doherty syndrome. That's what it is. <laughs> but like yeah, the reason I'm saying slip of a fella, like uh, you see Jerry McIntyre's legs and they're skinny legs. Do you know? He's ah, right, right, right. Uh, can I take back the Fergal Doherty thing? Then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was thinking that wasn't a good comparison. <laughs> he he just wasn't one. Of, he was no Anthony Tohill, you know, for example. He but he was a, he. I reckon for that era, he would have been on the on the smaller. Uh, less physically imposing midfielders at the time. Yeah, he just had timing, didn't he? Yeah. Timing a big, massive heart, like you know, and he just like sometimes he was catching the ball on his chest by jumping over boys' heads, like you know, he was just coming from from that far back sometimes. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't want to take away from James McCartan though. He is, uh, he deserves performance of the, of the the weekend, I suppose. But um, no, like, he definitely. Really? No, I'm, con- I'm continuing calling it performance of the weekend, even though um, it <laughs> makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> yeah, but but I think uh, like Kevin McCartan sums up that sort of down cockiness as well. Like you know, he just he just looks like he knows he's a good player and he wants the ball. And he he looks like he knows when he's in good form. When he scored that first point, it was sort of like ah, oh, here we go. You could you could see it in his face, like you know, that he was going to enjoy his day, and like that's exactly what it is. Yeah, he kind of he kind of had a a way of playing and walking around like he was just kind of cool on the field. You know that kind of way. It's just like whatever. You know, like I mean, he'd get a good point. And it was the way he carried himself. Yeah, that's it. Like, and like every time I see like those those retro jerseys, I remember at the time like they were like, you couldn't get them. They were like hand teeth. Those those retro or those replica down jerseys. Like every time I see one now, it always just <laughs> I think of the, all these down men who like are walking around carrying themselves like James McCartney. I think he's inspired a whole generation of people to to try and be as cool as he was. <laughs> right, well, James McCartney, congratulations, performance the weekend. Um, that's all we've time for, like I was saying on the Hurling Show. I think we might do a combined show on Thursday, Colin, and maybe get up to date on where everything is. I'm not sure if there even is a show to be done with that. We'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to, get, a, we'll have to get a couple of interviews to make up the show as well, but we'll take a break from these nostalgia ones on Thursday. Um, we'll talk to you then. Good luck. Yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas, they get such a f-ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we put them back in their f-ing houses for f-ing 10 years.